Welcome to the Monocle Podcast. We are an independent management consulting firm, and in this podcast, we discuss our latest insights and opinions to help you achieve exceptional performance in banking and insurance together. I'm Gar Wilding, Monocle's research manager based in Johannesburg, and joining us is Johan Dupasani, one of our senior managers, to share his insights and experience around IFRS 9 and the COVID-19 pandemic as well as how banks have been impacted by both of these things and how banks should be moving forward. Johan has worked extensively with banks around credit risk for over 10 years and is one of our key consulting resources regarding IFRS 9. Johan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So it seems like we can't talk about banking and the COVID-19 pandemic without mentioning IFRS 9. We're continuing to see banks' financial performances around the world and here in South Africa taking a significant knock because of the pandemic. Why is it hitting them so hard and what does IFRS 9 have to do with it? Okay, so like you say, banks were really hard hit by the COVID-19 outbreak and probably more so by the government's response to this outbreak with a nationwide lockdown. Now, at a basic level, banking is very simple. You borrow money from people with extra and you call it deposits and you lend it to those who need extra. Now, obviously, the lending part has been going on for quite some time. And as the banking industry has become more competitive, banks are loaning more money than before. Now, into COVID-19. So the first thing we see now is that a lot of people are either losing their jobs, taking salary cuts, and this means that they are unable to repay their debts. And subsequently, they start falling behind. As you would expect, the banks are catering for this through the impairments and capital. Now, impairments, as you would know, typically caters for the expected loss, while capital is catering for the unexpected loss. COVID-19 clearly was not expected, and as such, the, the, the losses incurred now make a great case for releasing capital to offset this loss. And we've also seen this uh, the, the banks do this, so the system is working as it should, and fortunately, the South African banks are well capitalized. Unfortunately, we are also now seeing extreme spikes in the impairments for the banks um, under the new IFRS 9 regulations. And I believe this is a result of a few unfortunate events happening at the same time. So first up, we have IFRS 9. Um, and most South African credit providers went live with IFRS 9 in, in 2018. And this meant that they rebuilt their models under the new methodologies. Now, remember, IFRS 9 asked that we take a forward-looking approach, which is different to what we had in the IAS 39, which was the old methodology. And it includes new things like the significant increase in credit risk and curing from default rules. Now, for those who are unsure, a significant increase in credit risk says that we need to have some sort of rule that will look at up-to-date customers um, that are showing signs of high risk but have not defaulted yet or missed any payment and been paid for them at a higher rate than the other up-to-date customers. Curing from default, on the other hand, says that even if in the event that you've, you have gone into arrears and you've now made good so you've cured, we will keep your impayment at a higher rate to make sure that you've actually cured um, and can be considered a paying customer once again. Now, at a theoretical level, these types of rules really make sense and it ensures that we keep the right amount of impayment to cover for our losses. However, at a practical level, these rules tend to create a lot of volatility. So, Johan, you've mentioned the, the, the theoretical side of, of IFRS 9. How should banks deal with this practically? Okay, so something you first need to understand is that IFRS 9 describes what we should do from a modeling perspective, but not how it should be done. So each credit organization has come up with, a, with some way in which to do this. Now, if you look at the Basel regulations, uh, you will note that there was a very similar trend. First, all organizations implemented the rules in the way that they thought was best, 
And over time, these rules aligned into a sort of industry-based practice. Unfortunately, this has not really happened in IFRS 9 yet because the regulations were only implemented two years ago. And two years, in modeling terms, is a very short time. So you get COVID, uh, or the world gets COVID, and the world is in turmoil, the economy comes to a grinding halt, people lose their job, and, and suddenly all these things start to add up. And in the credit world, you sit with an impairment methodology that's very conservative, tends to be volatile, and worst of all, it did not have a chance to mature as an industry yet. So even the regulators are finding it really difficult to come up with a solution to support the credit providers. Everything that they recommend needs to be checked because it can have a positive impact for one credit provider and a negative impact for another. So it's indeed a very sticky situation and one that the industry as a whole is finding very difficult to manage in these trying times. So we've seen the nationwide lockdown that the government put in place earlier this year. Um, something like this is obviously a, a once-in-a-lifetime event that's left economies and central banks and regulators scrambling to react. Can you give us some insights into the reactionary steps taken by regulators and banks in response to the coronavirus pandemic? So first, I need to be very clear on something. In my view, the regulators historically have always done a really good job in regulating the South African banking and credit industry. But like I explained previously, the way that things have played out now, and specifically the timing to it, have made it very difficult for them to manage the industry through this crisis. Okay, that being said, there were also a number of good ideas coming from the regulators at this point. If we talk to things like distressed structures, amendments, payment holidays, I believe that they've given the industry a lot of headroom to manage the situation in the short term. What we do need to understand is, especially around something like a payment holiday, is that firstly, it was the right thing to do by the bank, but it was also the right thing to do for the banks. Now, I say by the banks because that uh, through doing that, they were supporting the economy that is under severe stress, and they're doing what they can to support their customers. But I also say it was for the banks because there are definitely advantages for the banks in, in giving a payment holiday. Now, remember, the banks impair for their customers based on behavior. So if you're an up-to-date, the impairment rate will be low, and as you start to fall into arrears, the impairment rate will start to increase. Now, by giving someone a payment holiday, you're essentially protecting them from falling behind. At a very basic level, this means that even though they don't have money to pay you back right now, you can keep impairing for them at an up-to-date level as opposed to increasing the impairment rate. So the problem is that the Department of Trade and Industry relaxed these regulations to allow for this on the 24th of March, 2020. And the first bank started to roll out payment holidays on the 1st of April. So, so in less than 10 working days, we went from zero to payment holiday. And it would, be, would have been very difficult to understand the impacts and outcomes of that in such a short time. Now, what about banks' IFRS 9 stress testing? Wouldn't that have prepared them for events similar to this, like the pandemic? Okay, so I'll, I'll definitely admit, if, if COVID-19 told me one thing, it's to respect the stress testing process. And I think you're absolutely right to, to a certain extent on this. Stress testing is done to understand what would happen under a stress scenario and place measures that we can pull out when that exactly actually happens. The problem is that stress testing is not really built to deal with this kind of scenario. Now, if you think about the stress testing process, you will... You will test scenarios like a decline in economic growth or a downturn, something that happens a bit more gradually. With COVID-19, it happened almost instantaneously. So from the first case of COVID-19 in South Africa to the lockdown was just over 20 days. So things re uh, happened really fast in this one, and, and nobody saw this coming. So if I told you in the middle of Feb 
we might go into a lockdown that's almost similar to a kind of war scenario. You'd have a hard time believing me that it could happen this quickly. Planning for events like this is not something we would you would generally do, um, and, and not at a granular level like an, an, an impairment level at least. And, and also, this is one type of extreme scenario. We, we could still suddenly go into a war or a zombie apocalypse could hit us, um, and, and the response would have been very different. But what I'm trying to get to is that even though there are measures in place to deal with these stress scenarios, this was such that it would actually, in my opinion, be a waste of time to try and prepare for each and every possible such a scenario. Let's look towards long-term planning for the financial industry. Recently, we've seen bank executives stating that earnings in South Africa may take up to three years to recover from this pandemic. What is it that banks will look to be doing in the future to manage their recent spikes in impairments as well as uh, managing their credit modeling? So, so what I've seen is, and this doesn't apply to only to the credit providers, but is that the businesses that are going to make it through this are the ones that are actively managing the situation the best they can. Now, large institutions need to think of a million things. You could, you could imagine communication to customers, managing higher risk and lower risk individuals, new strategies, the list really just goes on. Focusing on these things might be a good topic for another day. However, I do believe that credit providers now need to use these recent developments as a reason to properly review the IFRS 9 implementation. Now, I spoke about the industry best practice earlier. Given the pressure cooker that was 2020, credit providers should now focus on understanding what is these current best practices. And granted, they might change as the industry evolves. But what is these current best practices and ensure that they optimize their impairment process to work for them? But Johan, how do they make these uh, credit processes work for them? So a proper impairment process needs to have three things. It needs to be optimized, it needs to be stable, and it needs to be predictable. Optimize says we don't leave money on the table for the sake of conservatism. Uh, we've got models in place and our models are making predictions and we should be trusting those predictions. If we can't trust the predictions, we need to relook at the models, not change the inference 9 or the impairment methodology. Next, we say it needs to be stable. So an impairment setup uh, that is very volatile makes it extremely hard to, to manage your credit business. And eventually it, it starts taking up unnecessary time from the credit team and everyone involved to just figure out what's going on in terms of impairment. While your business is running as it should, the credit numbers are up and down and you can't figure out why. Finally, it needs to be predictable. And a predictable impairment process is one where you could reasonably understand the typical path of impairments that a client will face. And you know that path at the time of onboarding. So when you have this, you can make decisions that will benefit both you as a credit provider and the customer. So, so those banks that had managed to, to, to have these three principles effectively placed before the pandemic have set themselves up with a competitive advantage and will definitely find it easier to manage the credit risk going forward. So I think in closing, I'd like to say this, you know, to manage impairments and, and the current impairment spike, credit providers will need to stay close to the impairment process. Often we say we stay close to the impairment number, but we now need to focus on the process and ensure that the number coming out of that process actually talks to what's happening in the business. Johan, thank you for sharing your insights into the impact of IFRS 9 um, and also how it practically impacts the way banks operate, especially in the light of recent events. If banks and lenders are looking to find out more about how Monocle can assist them, how can they go about finding out more? 
Okay, so Monocle has been involved in, in various Ifrs 9 engagements from design, implementation, and refinement. And so any banks or lending stakeholders who are in the process of refining or upgrading their Ifrs 9 operations, and be that model validation, calibration, you know, process optimization, performance reporting, etc., uh, can reach out to us through the contact details on our website. Johan, thanks again. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Visit monocle.co.za or co.uk to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle, we design change.